following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. And that was Shuteskat uh, with Clockwork. Uh, Shuteskat is an interesting, interesting young fella. Um, he is out of Mexico, uh, Mexican-American heritage, but when he was about six, he began public speaking, basically. So his little six-year-old fellow, he came out and, and started speaking publicly and organising his community and, and coming out in defence of the earth. Um, and now, now we live in a world where there are millions of, of young people who are doing exactly the same thing, and we are joined by two of them. We are joined today by, by Tali Mullins and Jamie Rogers from the School Strike for Climate. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Yeah, so our School Strike for Climate folks, um, they are doing a live stream this afternoon called Build a Better Future. Um, there's going to be some wonderful discussion going on. Um, it's a four-hour live stream. There's um, In the first hour, there's the opening acknowledgements, and there'll be some wonderful speakers there. Second hour is going to have a student discussion about the future and more guest speakers. Third hour will be some science and some music. Uh, fourth hour will be more about uh, democracy and transition. So uh, we're really going to encourage you to tune into that. And the folks this morning are going to tell us a bit about that, about their current campaigns and about other things they've been doing with their inspired action. So welcome to the show, Tali and Jamie. We're pleased to have you here. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, and I suppose I I should be... Nice professional community radio announcer and say you're on Community Radio 2XX (laughs) and you're listening to Behind the Lines. This is Scotty and Zena. Would you like uh, one of you to run down for us uh, what School Strike for Climate is and, and where it hatched from? Yeah, so School Strike for Climate in Australia started in about October um, of 2018. And then in uh, November of 2018, we had our first national strike, which was amazing. I think there was about 15,000 people Australia-wide on November 30th. And then from there, it basically just grew from being small to like hundreds of thousands, which is really amazing. Yeah, wow, that's pretty amazing. And um, where did it come from? So inspired by Greta, um, some students from Newcastle uh, contacted some climate uh, orgs from around Australia, and they basically got it started from that. So it's just a few Newcastle students, and then it, like Greta Strikes did, it just grew around Australia to heaps of different locations and uh, such a diverse range of people. Yeah, cool. So, like, how have we stacked up internationally as sort of attendees of these strikes? I think it's been pretty good for a tiny little country, hasn't it? Um, yeah, I know a lot of countries look at Australia like like per capita, we're talking. Um, we do pretty well, which is kind of amazing considering the industry um, the industries that Australia has, so I'm really proud of us how like how good we've gone and how communication around the country's gone as well with it. Cool, cool. So I guess your uh, your live stream is going to start with the science, and, and, and yeah, I'd like to start the same way. Well, what are some of the um, some of the key scientific sort of concepts? I guess that we should be paying attention to. 
essentially since the 1800s, uh, the burning of fossil fuels has become commonplace and the burning of these fuels releases <clears throat> um, large amounts of carbon dioxide into the, into the air, which is a greenhouse gas. And this process has caused an increase of CO2 in our atmosphere. So the amount of carbon in our atmosphere has increased from about 280 parts per million in the 1800s to 413 parts per million um, as of March 2020, which is cited by NASA. 97% of publishing climate scientists agree that humans are causing global warming. So I just, I'm just uniting behind the science and... Yeah, taking the peer-reviewed and amazing work for truth. And it's definitely, like you said, it's definitely humans who are causing this. And it's also this uh, increase of carbon in the atmosphere will activate more cascading negative feedback. So we'll see things like ocean level rise, increasing um, rain acidity, and many other factors which will negatively impact our ability to live on this planet. So... I mean, this is the, the human-caused climate change thing is, is only really one of a, a whole number of factors too, which, uh, <laughs> which are building up into this mountain of stuff. Um, what do you see um, with the peak everything and the loss of biodiversity and, and exponential growth? I mean, what, do you see any commonalities in all of these different problems that we've uh, got ourselves into? Um, well, I guess the main thing is that humans have increased the severity and the like the time frame in which these sort of events are happening. So, like with global warming, global warming is a natural process, but the thing is, humans have warmed the Earth faster than it's ever been warmed in the history of the world. Um, so the world was always going to be warming, but it was going to be warming at such a slow pace that essentially the world could adapt to it. Um, I feel like that's something that's quite common with all the effects of global warming and climate change. Yeah, yeah, that exponential growth since World War Two. It's, it's in all the curves, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. How serious is all of this? I mean, it's nice, but, you know, you've got some people who reckon that, you know, it'd be good, we'll go bananas in the Arctic and that sort of thing. How serious is the threat? It's It'll change everything that we know. It'll, it will change the way that we get around the world. It'll change the way that we source food, how we can source food, like when we can source food, that sort of stuff. It's threatening our very existence and not only our existence it's threatening animals and natures which we rely on so it's, it's very serious and some people like to downplay it which is like okay but when you when you read the science and when you read the science and you read some of the astonishing facts you have to like take a step back and be like okay damn like this is serious and have to sort of readjust where you how you think of the world and I've definitely done that with my own life I've like put, like readjusted how I think about the world and how I think about the things that I use and that sort of stuff so yeah mm, yeah look on that note I've been listening to a, a podcast lately uh coming out of out of the states he's I don't know he calls himself an eco-theologist but he's got a, a post-doom podcast where <laughs> he's he's talking about exactly that about how different activists have have sort of 
met the realisation of the gravity of this challenge that we're up against and, and yeah, just been able to get through it by uh, changing the way they see things, I guess. Yeah, so I'd recommend having a listen to that one. I mean, the science is all there, isn't it? It's like you mentioned the peer review and I think the consensus or the, the, the nearness to consensus on this issue is probably the greatest that science has ever had. Um, they're an argumentative bunch. What is it, do you reckon, in our political system that allows them to not believe the science, I guess? Our political system works on a cycle of three-year elections. And so many politicians are hesitant to bring in policies that will cause long-term change, especially if these aren't popular with people in their voting electorate. And our leaders have been telling us for many years we have to choose between jobs and growth and the environment. And many people cannot see the long-term impacts of global warming and climate change. And they really do need to feed their families. And so they've always chosen jobs and growth. And our politicians have been telling us that we can't have both. But if that was ever true, it certainly isn't now. We can definitely... Renewables are becoming cheaper and a more profitable option. And it's Basically, it's due to a lack of direction by the government that Australia isn't already a renewable powerhouse. We have the biggest landmass and a most amazing abundance of solar power um, and wind in the world. So we could definitely become a renewable superpower. Um, we can plan projects, create jobs, lock in emissions reduction targets that will both help us grow our economy in the short term and ensure the future of our planet. And we've had many solar companies come into Australia and say that they would like to tap our amazing resources. But the lack of a plan by the government, who works on a three-year cycle, has made many of them pull out because they cannot be insured the long-term stability that they need to actually set up a working business in this country. That's a pretty bright picture of the future, (laughs) really. And you can join that up with the, the things like the Beyond Zero Emissions reports, which have been coming out for over a decade now. And if we'd implemented them when they first came out, we'd be finished. Um, <laughs> we would have our zero carbon economy with the, with the same structures that we've got now. It's, it's, it's flabbergasting to me, to use an old-fashioned word. The, the, the response has been so, I don't know, stubborn, I suppose. It's, it's such a clear, present obvious thing why would you deny this do you reckon um i feel like it's a way of thinking um as australians i feel like we've developed this culture where we're kind of stubborn in our thinking and so i remember in like november 2018 when the strikes were just ramping up um i saw like people striking i'm like why what are they doing why are they striking like they're being so selfish um, yeah. and, then, and then I had to do a speech for English in March last year and I did it about climate change and the strikes because I'm like, I want to learn about this. And when I actually learned about it, I was like, this is crazy. Like, why isn't people, why aren't people doing something about this? And it's a realisation that it's a way of thinking and it's if you decide to unite behind the science and behind... Uh, people who have dedicated their whole lives and have peer-reviewed articles and 
undeniable science or if I just go, no, I'm right. So it's definitely a way of thinking and we need to accept this in order to move forward for a better world, which is what everyone wants. Everyone wants a livable world. And I just, I understand when people might be sceptical about the science, but what, if people are like that, I would just really encourage you to do some reading. The NASA has some really easy to read and easy to follow articles on climate change. And even the IPCC reports, there are some condensed versions. So, yeah, stuff like that's really interesting and changes the way you think about things. Both Jamie and Tali, um, you know, you're both quite passionate about what you're doing. And, and Jamie, you've just shared with us what for you um, got you on board, it must be quite difficult. You must run into a lot of people who um, don't support what, you know, what you're sharing and maybe less likely to listen because of your youth. How have you both found um, dealing with naysayers and, you know, people who say, oh, you're just brainwashed kids and, you know, don't know what you're talking about? And um, how's that been for you guys? Because it takes a lot of determination to, to front up to that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, well, for me, I go to a pretty conservative um, high school. Um, and in my politics class last year, I got in some little arguments about it, which is okay. Um, <laughs> but I just try to keep a clear head and just try to rationally go through every single step um, of, like, why this is real for, like, the why climate change is real. And then if I'm talking about why we need to strike for the climate, I like to draw on history talking about like gay liberation and the women's rights movements and black lives lives matter all of those sort of social movements where we've gone against the social norm and things are changing are changing or have changed for the better so i like to draw on that sort of stuff it can be quite difficult though i just try to keep a cool head and just rationally go through things but sometimes it doesn't always work out but that's that's okay we'll keep trying (laughs) And Natalie, how have you found it? Yeah, actually, I do the same thing. I try and rationally go through all the arguments. But sometimes people's minds are already made up. And the thing, people people are saying, like, adults are running the strike. No, adults are supporting us. Um, and I'm amazed every day at, like, the truly remarkable things we kids can accomplish. But it gives me hope because the reason people are saying the adults are running it, these kids are brainwashed, is to belittle our voices. And it's because they are really, truly scared of us. We are loud. We are many. We've had so many people come to our last strike. We are armed with the truth and we have nothing to lose. And that's what truly terrifies them. So they have to belittle our voices by throwing these inaccurate arguments around so that we don't expose the fact that they are wrong and we are right. Mm. And it's come from, you know, the, the spirit of, of one young lady, Greta Thunberg, um, you know, sitting outside by herself with her signs, um, inspiring other people. And then it's become this enormous global movement quite quickly. So um, you can definitely see the power behind what, what, what you're advocating for and what you're sharing. It's, it's captured the imagination of a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise have listened yeah, yep, yep, 10 points for that one. And um, I think you, you combine it with something like Extinction Rebellion as well and it, it's got, yeah, there's a lot of parallel things going on which are, which are building together. It's fantastic stuff. You, you started painting a, a fairly bright picture of the future. I mean, uh, what, what do you see in the future if, if we manage to blast through this stone wall that we've got ahead of us? 
and and come out the other side like extinction rebellions very keen on doing the uh, the participatory democracy sort of route um does school strike have any particular things for the future or um yes yeah, so school strike are fighting for climate justice so some groups are climbing uh fighting for climate action which is just uh essentially like some sort of action towards a better future but we're we're fighting for a complete and just future. So there's this thing that we're actually doing for the strike today called Yellow Flowers for Climate Justice. It's essentially using the idea of a yellow flower as um, a symbol of regrowth and strength to fill the space to show that we want climate justice. So climate justice looks like there's lots of things like clean air, um, just transitions, First Nations justice, um, workers' rights. Um, those sort of very progressive ideas, but they all fall under the idea of climate justice because we need all of these things to achieve what we want. So that's that's a big thing within School Strike for Climate and a lot of other climate groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that's fantastic. I also um, know that uh, in the early 1900s when LGBT rights were non-existent, there was a movement using the Green Carnation and that was their symbol. So that's um, quite lovely that you've also chosen a flower to s- symbolise your work as well. Yeah. So you mentioned that you are getting um, some support. Um, has that always been the case, or is that now people are actually starting to listen and um, to get on board and, and to help you and give you platforms and, and places where your voices can be heard? Yeah, like there are definitely certain parties which uh, in the political system which support our movement and us, and then there are of course some who don't. We get some kind of ill-tasted media reports written about us sometimes. Just in the last week, we got a a few articles. One was called Climate Faith Virtual Sermon, which basically said that we're not going to get any attention online. It said that climate change is a prediction validated by the non-scientific consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some articles, especially in the media, which kind of, I guess it rejects our whole philosophy, but I'm happy to anger a few people in the media if we get justice. So, like, for me, if we are annoying a few people, that's that's okay because I know in my heart that we are doing the right thing. <clears throat> but it can be difficult, of course, when we don't always have support. Yeah. But yeah, Well, if you weren't... If you weren't- impacting things and making a difference and and sharing uh, valid information, they would be silent. The fact that they're being responsive to you, even if it's negative, um, tells you that you've actually got a lot of support behind you and there's a lot of people listening. Otherwise, you know, because you said they're running scared. They wouldn't even bother commenting if they didn't feel that um, you were a valid valid threat to their opinions. That's so true. <laughs> and definitely with that article Jamie mentioned, we all had a good laugh over it because they said we weren't going to get any attention for today while printing it in a national newspaper. <laughs> and so we we were all a bit confused over that, but we had a good laugh. And also with attention that we're getting, I remember in the first couple of strikes, there were many people saying their kids can't go uh, because it was a very new concept. And then Scott Morrison came on TV and said, kids, go back to school. And um, many of the parents went, oh, okay. Well, uh, not only can my kids go, but I'm going as well now. We're going to get the whole family involved. So it's actually that negative media attention that brought a lot of people to our movement. 
and that's quite funny as well, I think. Yeah, well, it's an old old knowledge in PR to circles, I think, that any attention's good attentions. <laughs> yeah. No, look, the thing I always think about the media is, have you, have you ever looked up how much it costs to buy a significant chunk of the media lately? It's, it's, it's a, you've got to be a very rich person to be able to afford that. Or own a newspaper. Yeah, you, you, get, a, you get a bit of power with that. You, you don't want your fortunes to disappear, do you? The risk, the risk of, of what we're doing, say we're wrong and, and it's all, you know, it's all okay, but we manage to get through and, and, and we build this stuff that you're talking about and solidarity and things. What's the risk of actually building all of this cool stuff? I guess how I look at it is the worst thing that we can have is climate justice. And under the, like I was saying, under the climate justice umbrella, there's lots of things like First Nations justice. So if somehow the science, 97% of climate scientists are wrong, that means the worst thing we get is stuff like clean air and we get stuff like First Nations justice and workers' rights. So to me, I definitely feel like there isn't a downside in that sort of thing and everything that I'm fighting and striving for it has a positive impact in the end. So even if we can't stay underneath the 1.5 uh, degrees of global warming since pre-industrial levels, um, as recommended by the IPCC, the worst thing we'll get is climate justice, which, as I've just said, um, in, um, helps so many more people. Yeah. The way I look at it is uh, we've got four sort of areas. We've got we all come together and act, and we do, or we don't, and we've got uh, the scientists were right or they're not. And so if we all come together and act and they're wrong, I guess we've got a nice, clean planet and we're all happy. We've got First Nations justice. We've got uh, lots of other good things that stem from coming together as a whole society and acting on this. If the scientists are right and we act, well, then we've just saved the planet. Good job for us. Um, if we don't act and the scientists are wrong, then that's okay. We'll carry on the way we're going. But do we really want that? Don't we, don't we want a world where it's, it's better than this? We can always strive for greatness. And then if we don't act and the scientists are right, then we've sort of doomed ourselves. So the way I see it, we've... We've got to act, and it's going to lead to nothing but good. Yeah, right. Well, that's pretty good. I guess if we do something and it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. But if we do nothing and it does matter, well, that matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even a 10% improvement is a 10% improvement, right? <laughs> that's right. No, that's great. That was a uh, an excellent way of expressing that. Oh, We've had things like the rise of Extinction Rebellion since the, the school strikes came up. Um, what other movements do you see that, that you're working in parallel with around the world? Definitely, like, unions and that sort of stuff. We definitely see, like, we're involved with them. Um, and it's really great to see that we're getting workers' rights and workers' justice at the same time of fighting for the climate. So movements like that are very similar. The general justice movement for all sorts of people and all groups of people is definitely becoming more mainstream, I want to say. Still not to the state where we need it, but the discussion's there, which is, like, needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that's good. I mean, that's this is really 
a, an issue where I can see, I mean, oh, who is it? Some old bloke from the 30s anyway, who's famous, Polanyi. Yeah, yeah, Polanyi was, was talking about the the history of the Industrial Revolution and how it's always been a double movement and, and there's yeah. pressure from the capitalists but then there's always pressure back from the community to grasp back what the capitalists have taken off them to some extent. And the two main movements that have risen out of that have been the union movement and then more latterly the environmental movement. And this seems to be pushing them closer together towards that uh, that common enemy of grasping capital. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what if the government and big business don't do anything? How? What are some of the ways that we can just do it ourselves? I really stand by the idea of we can't have uh, system change without individual change and we can't have individual change without system change. So, mm -hmm. theoretically, I would like my carbon footprint to be, like, zero. That would That would be nice. But I can't do that without the systems in which I live in to change so I need the system to change to help me and then I need to stand up and say I reject the systems to have individual change so it can be quite hard but if you feel a responsibility to do something you can do stuff like going vegetarian or vegan you can strike for the climate you can you can pester your local MP your MPs for justice and that sort of stuff but it's really mixed and everyone has a different approach to this sort of idea. Yeah, I remember the IPCC report came out and because of the nature of modelling and predictions, they can't say with 100% certainty that this is going to happen. But they were like, we're 99% sure this is going to happen. And what people took that as was like, the, oh, there's 1% that it, where it doesn't happen. So we'll, uh, we'll just focus on that bit. <laughs> and then I remember the next IPCC report came out and they'd done something different. They were like, okay, so you're not going to listen to us about the big science. So we're going to talk about things that you can do. And much of their report was focused around food consumption and food waste. And so, yeah, like Jamie said, things like going vegetarian help a lot because there's a lot of hidden carbon in everything that you do, including clothes. It's not just your car. So, like, changing your diet changing uh, how you shop, uh, that can have a big impact as well. But like Jamie said, again, if we, if we really want to have a society that's carbon neutral, we need to have the systematic change where the, the government like, helps us achieve these things and doesn't provide subsidies to fossil fuel companies. Mm, yeah. yeah, I've got a theory that if we want the government and the big systems to change, we have to, I guess, we have to change their imagination. We have to somehow get them to to imagine that things could be different to how they are. They seem to be extremely unimaginative. Um, well, I think when they imagine the difference, they imagine them having less money and power, of <laughs> what we're suggesting. Yeah. They're not too that's on board with that. Yeah, yeah. And that's obviously yeah. the end of the world. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, how can we get our opponents to imagine a world without less money and power, which isn't doom? I definitely just think, for me, I'm just going to keep striking. It's also quite established that the government is quite white and male, and I feel like if we get people who are from a background where they've, like, struggled or, like, from a 
just like an embassy background that would that would be amazing and um that sort of idea can help make the government imagine um and make them feel threatened in a way that could get them to change but it's it's a long process and it's you can't just fix it all of a sudden but we've got 10 years to reduce our emissions by 50 percent so you know it's it's also really hard to look at it in that perspective i guess i've noticed in in a lot of the a lot of the big wigs and people who are in the in the ruling sort of classes who've come out in support of climate they've said that oh well it was my kids going out on strike actually that made me think about it so yeah it really is effective yeah, society's attitudes are definitely changing to climate change and people who are striking, which is incredible to see in just a bit over a year um, of this sort of uh, strike and these mainstream strikes happening. So I have hope that we're going to achieve justice because of what we've seen just in the last a bit over a year. Mm. Now, you're a movement that that goes onto the streets and, and holds massive protests. And what's the role of non-violence in your strategy? We're definitely a non-violent movement and campaign. That's really important because a lot of people within general society and a lot of people within um, organisations like School Strike, you know, we we're young people and we um, we battle with mental health on a daily basis. So things like that, I guess it's really important to be like, I don't want to, I don't want to get in a fight with someone that's going to screw with my mental health so badly. Um, and I think just a general acknowledgement of that's not who we are. And if we, as I keep saying, if we're fighting for justice, I don't want to be like physically hurting someone for that. That's me personally, um, because that's not, that's not fair for that person. That's not fair for me. So we have creative ways which we can get across our point without, um, yeah, without hurting someone. Additionally, we've also got people in primary school. We've got kids like four or five years old coming to our strikes. And so if we started making them violent, then that's just not all right to subject these tiny little children to a violent movement. And so we like to keep it um, non-violent so we can really draw in people from all walks of life and to actually show that our movement is really really far reaching and everyone's on board yeah you'd wind up with just a bunch of uh, able-bodied white males really wouldn't you (laughs) so these these guys are actually well it's mostly guys i suppose but that these people are actively acting to to ruin the earth it's a a pretty extreme thing I mean I call it economic extremism Um, Mm. and and they should know I mean they believe the science on bloody COVID they believe the science that took them to the moon it's like physics is going to come and kick our asses, and they just won't they're acting like oh well let's build another coal mine let's let Adani in shouldn't this be criminalised have you got a stance on on like climate criminalisation for these people? Um, I guess it's when you realise that people are literally making their living from destroying the earth. You're like, well, like that's a lot to take in. Um, Hmm. But it's definitely, it's also because of the way that so-called Australia was, like the values which we were built upon and a lot of the uh, Western world was built upon it. We were built upon lies and that's continued to this day. Uh, Yeah, I definitely feel like 
because a lot of people people in power have vested interests in um, things like the fossil fuel industry, which kind of either stop them from believing the science or they know the science and it's stopping their policies or like the things that they actually might want to do for the earth. Yeah, I don't know if I have a stance on climate criminalisation, but um, it's definitely something that we've got to be thinking about as a movement. So there's an old adage in writing, which is show, don't tell. So maybe if you can't, with your voices, get people to listen, maybe um, by example and demonstrating what amazing communities we can build by being climate aware and climate conscious. So um, one of the suggestions someone had made recently because of COVID and because so many people and households have been forced to live quite differently, um, there's a lot of of course, a lot of negative that's come out of that, but also a tremendous amount of positive and people realising they can change their lives for the better, for their own well-being of their community and also for the well-being of the environment. And uh, one suggestion was that with the issues we were having with offshore manufacturing en masse, particularly in China, was that now with the um, prevalence of um, 3D printers, they're thinking, well, why can't we just print stuff here? like do 3D printing and manufacturing here and build sort of grassroots 3D printing economies here rather than shipping everything mm. offshore. So there's, there's all these wonderful ideas that are coming out of that and perhaps with what you're sharing with us, the idea of being able to show the naysayers how it's done, just simply showing them, you know, sometimes you've got to go ahead and do it and, and get yeah. permission afterwards. Um, I'm with this organisation called AYCC, the Australian Youth Climate Coalition as well. I forget what year it was. But Port Augusta used to have, I forget what fossil fuel it was, but it was a major fossil fuel industry in the town. And that got closed. So AYCC launched a campaign called Repower Port Augusta. So in order for there to be a just transition, they essentially launched this campaign, which got all the workers who used to work at the fossil fuel industry in the town to work at a renewable industry. So like things like that, it's really amazing to see. Yeah, because it's showing that grassroots movements are working, physically they're working, and it's, yeah, it's making people better off in the example of Port Augusta. So you've got, you know, individuals who um, are very protective of their uh, primary industry heritage, like their third generation miner or their fourth mm. generation logger, and it's letting go of that identity in some way and being open to accepting new possibilities about transferable skills for their work so that yeah, you know, yeah so it's, it's showing that there's no um loss of pride in no longer being a miner yeah. or no longer being um a primary industry pillager of the earth you can actually um yeah you know look at something that is satisfying from a personal standpoint as well as contributing meaningfully and non-harmfully yeah. Yeah, definitely. What you said about changing attitudes and also changing actions, we've definitely seen it amazingly in this current climate. Like, this pandemic is awful. People have lost their lives and livelihoods. This is something affecting the entire world in a way we haven't really seen before. But the response to this pandemic has shown us that we can make changes and big ones across our entire society. Like, while we really do want to get back to our regular lives right now, we have a unique opportunity at the moment. We've been given a small glimpse at what a healing planet looks like. We've seen uh, clearer skies and even dolphins in Venice. 
And 2020 could see a 5.5% drop in projected global CO2 emissions from 2019, which is double the year-on-year reduction required to keep global temperature increases less than two degrees above pre-industrial levels. So we've really made some amazing things. This, however, is a silver lining of a really dark cloud. We all really want to get back to our regular lives. I know I certainly do. And of course, this has to be the priority. We can't sustain this forever. But we also can't deny that us and the economy, which many political parties are extremely motivated by, will be seriously altered by this pandemic. Like we, we have this moment in time where we can build a better future that can deal with the current economic problem and anticipate environmental problems ahead of us. This virus, as horrible as it is, shows us that the actions of the individual really do matter. However, it shows us that it also takes change at the top to really ensure effective action is taken. So, yeah, for years and years and years, our politicians have been telling us that we have to choose between jobs and growth and the environment, like we can't have both. But, you know, if if that was ever true, which um, personally I don't think it ever was, it certainly isn't now, it's come at like a terrible price, but we've given we've been given a chance to reshape our economy, one that's already crumbling at the moment because everyone's in lockdown. And we can reshape it with renewables at the center. Like this is now an economically viable option. And not only that, it's an economically beneficial option. We're going to have to restart our economy somehow, so why not with the future of the planet in mind? We can plan projects, create jobs, lock in emissions reduction targets. That will both help us grow the economy in the short term and ensure the future of our planet in the long term. I think there was a big study. Figures have shown that embracing renewables could create over 59,000 jobs directly and even more indirectly. Well said. Yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, you look at the the commonalities between climate crisis and coronavirus is the scale of the threat. It's global. I mean, the immediacy, it could happen any time to any of us. Um, The severity of it, it's a a threat to personal health. It's potentially life-threatening. There's a large disruption of the economy. I mean, it could even be, you know... Well, there's a disruption, I suppose, with the uh, coronavirus, but it's actually a terminal threat with climate. Um, but the the response has been vastly different, hasn't it? <laughs> well, is that because that um, that small group of people at the top we're talking about they they believe in the science behind the coronavirus, but they're questioning the science behind climate change. Yeah, um, I guess it's also important to acknowledge that the. Um, the response to COVID from the government and organisations alike hasn't been perfect. And we have, as I said before, we have 10 years to reduce our emissions by 50% as per the IPCC to stay underneath the recommended 1.5 degrees of global warming. And we need to be using every day, every minute we have to establish policies and procedures that are going to be best for everyone, best for the world. It's going to be best for like people to still be able to live a life. But yeah, it's also going to maintain human life at the same time. Mm, there's a number of topics in the uh, in the uh, in the live stream this afternoon that you're going to be covering, which we haven't had time to touch on yet. What about uh, democracy in all of this? There's, there's going to be a little thing on democracy. Uh, yeah, uh, democracy is very, um, uh, very important. 
like in school strike for climate, if we want to do a campaign or um, we want to do something, we go through democracy. Like that's just an example in school strike for climate. Within the like within climate justice, democracy is important because we can use democracy to vote out people who aren't serving climate justice. So like in the last election, it was definitely a shock. I I think to everyone. We hope that we can use democracy for the better of the world. Yeah, it doesn't always, like, our campaigns don't always work out, and that's that's just <laughs> life, that's part of the movement. But, sure um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So when you say democracy, I mean, if you used the equivalent of our Australian democracy in your movement, you would have elected Greta Thunberg as your leader last year sometime and be doing whatever she says, essentially, and <laughs> she might be negotiating behind the scenes with some other people, but... How does the democracy work in, the, in your movement? Is it top-down like that? In School Strike for Climate, um, we don't have a leader sort of system, so we don't really think there's any one person as a leader or like any few people as like the main organisers and stuff like that because we feel like it sort of decredits some people's experiences and, yeah, what they're going through. I feel like we're all, we're all leaders in this. That's the sort of way that we look at it. Mm-hmm. And have you found any sort of social technologies to, that, that help you to, to work along those lines? Um, we, methods of organising? Yeah, we um, organised through an app called Slack. It's got heaps of channels and people can join like working groups and projects and that sort of stuff. So it, it helps for organisation and that sort of stuff. We have amazing people in our team. We've got like amazing tech people. We have amazing logistics people. We have Everyone in School Strike for Climate is amazing and they put so much effort into it and it and we I feel like we all have a level of respect for each other. We might have organizational disagreements, but we all respect and understand each other that we want climate justice and some people might want to go through that a different way, but we can normally compromise. So if people wanted to um, participate in the live stream um, this afternoon. I believe it's running from 4pm to 8pm on Australian Standard Time. Um, how yeah. would they do that? How would they register to participate? So you can go to our website, School Strike for Climate, or you can go onto our YouTube or Facebook page. There's no like specific place to get the link, but basically on any of those three sites, you'll find the links. Um, we'll also be posting stuff on our Instagram pages today, so you can get the links there. Um, you don't have to stay for the, four, the whole four hours stay as long or as little as you want yeah it'll be really exciting though and hope to see you all there wonderful now is it possible for people who maybe um want to listen in and aren't in our time zone that there'll be a replay available afterwards that they can uh, listen back to yeah i'm pretty sure we are recording it i'm not 100 percent sure where it's going to be available but it will if you look on our social media pages um we'll direct you to be able to see the replay of it okay that's fantastic Additionally, Canberra is holding our own event uh, tomorrow, Saturday, from 1.30pm till 2.30pm, and that'll be more of a community-building event where we're getting to know the Canberra team, uh, what we do, and so that'll be a Zoom call and we'll be brainstorming ways in which we can build a better future together. So jump on that from 1.30 till 230 um, all the information's on our Instagram page, Climate Strike Canberra. Wonderful. And for those that don't have an Instagram, is that also on your website as well? Um, yes, yeah, so not on the School Strike website, but that's also on our Facebook page, um, so you can access it through there. And that's the School Strike for Climate Facebook page, correct? 
No, that's the Climate Strike Canberra Facebook Oh, Climate page. Strike Canberra. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. For those of us who are a bit older, we don't have an Instagram, it'd be great yeah. to uh, hook up through Facebook. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. All right. Well, if you're interested in science, worker solidarity, the future, health solutions, anxiety about climate, uh, working across borders, First Nations, democracy, just transitions, fossil and renewable jobs, or stuff that's going on in the Pacific, be sure to tune in, get that link. Um, you know, I, I look at our... Our generations since sort of World War Two up to the minute, including myself, you know, have been conscious and acting in those times. I'll lump us all together as Generation F. We failed. We didn't notice that things were going on. And, and it's easy to look at the next generation, these people who are coming up as Generation Hexed, who are cursed with the future we've left them. But not. It's not true. They are the regeneration. Good on you. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Thanks for being so cool, so bright, so on the ball. Um, good on you. Very Thank inspiring. You. Yeah, no, Thank it's been you. Great having you on. And hopefully we can have you on in another six months' time and see how things have uh, happened with all your movement after the COVID restrictions are lifted and see what you've got going on. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. So thank you. That was the wonderful Jamie Rogers and Tali Mullins from School Strike for Climate. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au that's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A dot org dot A-U or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.